Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. You are listening to Mist Apex podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. Welcome to the Missed Apex Sunday show. We're still recovering from a wild Monza Grand Prix and recovering from the even wilder response to our race review. That is easily the most feedback we have ever had uh, for a show. Literally several hundred people got in touch with us. Some folk unhappy with Brad expressing an opinion but that was massively, massively drowned out by all the positive feedback. So if you ever think that your tweets or your email does nothing or doesn't land, it really does. Thank you so much for the encouragement after that show. It makes a huge difference. And also, it was the biggest uptake in support for our Patreon page as well, Missed Apex, uh, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. So triple thank you for considering doing that as well. This week, we're going to be speaking to a man that ran an F1 team and is running an FIA race event. No big deal. But first, you've got to deal with Matt. Two rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? It's going incredibly well. It's amazing to me how luxurious a non-race weekend is, or at least it would be if the family hadn't figured out exactly how much work they could put me to. Yeah, dad's not distracted with the race. Time to do some carpentry. Yes, carpentry and errand running and museum visiting and all kinds of stuff. I believe we have a sponsor for today's show. Well, I was I was going to mention that, actually. You know, we have a sponsor for today's show. And that sponsor is one of our patrons, uh, David Spector. He's a clinical psychologist. He's based in Melbourne, Australia, and he runs a company called Psychology Care. He also has a blog about mental health and other stuff like that. So he just wants to, everyone to know that please have a look if you have the time and you feel comfortable looking. And I would encourage you to do that because mental health is a very important issue in today's society. Go and check out the links in the show notes below and links to everything we mentioned on the show is lovingly put underneath the YouTube video and in your podcast player. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. 
We might be wrong, but we're first. And here he is. Imagine what you would do if you ran a Formula One team. Imagine how you would act in the press conferences. Would you belligerently defend your driver? Would you go on the attack, accusing other teams of cheating? Here's a man who did it all. It's Matthew Carter. Hello, Mr. Carter. Hello, how are you? Were you tempted to go on the attack? I remember you being reasonably calm in press conferences. There was always a, a slight... In fact, you can go and Google Matthew Carter Lotus now and, and look back at press conferences. It was like a slight calm irritation, I think, on every question. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I think I uh, generally, as, as still happens... Actually, it's a bit easier these days because they've, they've narrowed them down to three, haven't they? But certainly back in, in my day, it was six of us and um, whoever else was in the press conference tended to get asked more questions than me. So I was always the one at the back, just sitting quietly. The only time I did generally get even remotely riled, I think, was in Silverstone once when there was some... Uh, there was some discussion about the press and I was saying they weren't being very nice to me and that caused some, that caused some agitation. But aside from that, no, I just generally just used to sit there and answer the lovely questions that the lovely journalists would put to me. So you do wonder from the outside, how much are those, you know, questions from, from journalists or, or column inches affecting the people in the team. And I, I guess nowadays with social media really kicking off, we saw Valtteri Bottas, the, the to whom it may concern. I didn't realise at the time, but he was literally talking to people who had made rubbish comments on his Instagram feed. So it's amazing to think those people right at the top of the tree, they can be affected by mugs, shed dwellers, all that kind of thing, you know, making comments. I don't know how much of that got through to you. Um, not necessarily the individual people. I. I think certainly from where I was looking at it, a lot of the issues that I was dealing with and a lot of team bosses, I guess, relate back to their sponsors and the people that um, are putting monies into the team. So if there is something particularly embarrassing um, and it reflects badly on the team, that in turn reflects badly on the sponsors. So you have that whole ripple down. And for me personally, it would be uh, waiting for that uh, Monday morning call from the lovely people at Microsoft um, to complain as to why the the car that they had backed that used to be at the front of the grid was now at the back of the grid. So I think there's a little bit of that. Um, and again, I you know, that was one of the sort of gripes I had with the journalists. I don't think they necessarily, or maybe they do, they're just trying to sell magazines and and uh, blogs or whatever. But I, sometimes I'm not sure that they really realise the, uh, the underlying problems that they can cause with some of the stuff that they write, especially when it's not true. Well, I just have a more specific question, which is while you were fending off the press by pretending pretending to answer their questions, like what was the thing that brought you the most under the microscope in terms of them asking you specific questions about things? Well, I mean, specifically to me and to, and to Lotus at the time, it was always generally about money. It was always, yeah. uh, it was always to do with the finances of the team and, um, and then latterly was all was always to do with the sale of the team. So um, as we now know, Renault bought the team at the end of the 2015 season, start of the 2016 season. But there was a six month period when they were in discussion, but I was sworn to secrecy or uh, contractually sworn to secrecy. And therefore 
the rumours were rife. And I think every single time a journalist came in front of me, they asked where we were at with Renault, whether we were selling, whether we weren't selling, whether the team was for sale, whether the existing owners were continuing to fund the team and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you remember, the added spice to that was that um, we had, upon my very strong suggestion, moved from Renault engines to Mercedes engines. And therefore the move back to Renault was... uh, was just a little added added extra com- complexity to it. So you had to sit there and brazen it out, much like George Russell and Valtteri Bottas. So yeah. now that now that it's super obviously obvious, it was obvious to a lot of people. But now that it's been confirmed, you know, it puts into context every single interview. Every single question was, "Have you signed the contract yet?" And they're like, oh, "I don't know, maybe internet." Yeah, exactly, exactly. Postcard. I mean, there's, there's there's you know the the drivers and the and the team bosses. To an extent, get a bit of media training, and um, and the and the you know, there's people that are paid a lot of money to to know the questions that are going to come and to and to preempt them. So the drivers are very much told, you know, you're going into like literally, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess people generally know how these things work, but a Thursday at the racetrack is the media day, and that's when the drivers and the team bosses a little less so. Certainly the ones down at my level, maybe the Totos and the Christians are, are, are pretty rammed. But your day is is structured through the whole day. So you've got someone from the comms department coming in and saying, okay, 10 o'clock, you've got Channel 4. At 10 10.30, you've got Missed Apex. At 11 o'clock, you've <laughs> one got <day>. Sky Sports. <laughs> um, and, and between each one, they will say to you, you know, the person that's interviewing you is, uh, you know, Spanners, you know, he's, he's really, really... Uh, Pro prolific on tires and uh, engine modes or whatever, and okay. so that they will sort of they will preempt and they will say to you, "This is who you're talking to. This is what they're likely to talk about. This is what they've been told to steer clear of," um, and then you make sure you steer clear of it as well. And and so it's 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 quite well scripted, should we say? Um, and even in the and even in the press conferences, the drivers and the and the team principals, those first few questions that used to be um, it used to be James Allen that did it when I when I was there, and it's now. Um, Tom, whatever his name is, um, but those the first few questions that they give um, are very kind of scripted. He asks one question, then links it around to everyone that's sitting at the table, and then when he opens it up to the floor, that's when it can go a little bit more off piste. I like that steer clear of. I'm just imagining the poor comms person trying to explain to Joe what he's not allowed to ask you. Yeah, there was a question here in the in the chat room saying, uh, "What does what does Matthew Carter think of Joe?" I think you and Joe have gotten on well and do get on on reasonably well still yes i think so i think it's much easier since i left um yeah uh, no but even um, to be honest with joe joe's slightly different i mean joe doesn't go to those press conferences even though he's 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 obviously allowed to and he's, he's got the pass to go there but he doesn't believe that's the way that he's going to get an insight that nobody else has got and, I, and i'm sure he's spoken to you guys about yeah. this but he tends to his method is more sort of milling around the paddock and pulling people aside for little one-to-one conversations. And um, he's well-respected and has been there long enough that I certainly believe that I could be a little bit more straight with him as long as I told him, you know, just don't write this, but this is what's going on. And I think he's built that trust up with a lot of people. Um, There's certain other journalists that I won't name where you wouldn't tell them anything. You wouldn't even tell them the truth. You would, you would, you just try and avoid every question they're asking you. Which, which which ones are those? No, I don't know, but I think the publication uh, rhymes with daily fun. I could. <laughs> Let's not get into specific. We're on dodgy ground there. Sorry, Matt. Did you have a follow up there? 
Well, I, I, I did, but my, my, my joke made me, made me absolutely. That's happy. okay. The chat room will save us. Uh, Rob Asher. Hello, Rob. And hello, uh, our live Slack uh, chat room. Does Mr. Carter think the whole Russell Bottas stuff was very stage managed for, for weeks in advance? And actually, from, from what you were saying, I'm surprised actually that the journalists were quote unquote allowed to keep asking that contract question. Did no one just pull them aside and just go, we're not going to tell you and it's boring. Please stop doing that. Um, I th- so, so just just to reiterate, or to, or to sort of um, just to go back on that point, I th- I think they're told what they can and they can't. But most journalists just go off piste anyway. You know, they they want to go down their own route and they want to ask the questions that. And but what does amaze me about the whole thing is that even any one of those journalists thought that at some point either Max, uh, sorry, either Valtteri or George were going to forget or slip or accidentally give them a scoop that nobody else had got because they were the 10th person that had asked them in that day. Were they expecting George Russell to turn around and go, oh, fair enough. You've got me. You know, I've been asked this so many times now. Yeah, okay, yeah, I've signed. I mean, it's, you know, it's, you know. So I think I guess they feel they have to do it. I think to answer Rob's question, yes, it was well stage managed and both drivers did really well in that situation. Weitzer, who who we found, Weitzer, the Dutch name, we found the equivalent in English is Guy because he's the only Weitzer in our patron group. Uh, what does Mr. Carter think of F1 doing more and more of their own media? That is really interesting. Uh, and what does he think of the journalists employed by them? Because they're not free to say what they want. The silence around Spa and the F1 employed media folks was very apparent, for example. And I, I mean, I, I know you don't have any specific kind of media insight as a journalist. It is interesting how the accredited journalists are more and more seem to be speaking as one in unison talking they can't criticize the sprint race they can't they couldn't criticize the handling of of spa and then you have like specifically employed by the fia journalists as well matt and it's um i mean it's fine i guess maybe we do we do the same if we got accreditation i don't know but it's left to bloggers and shed dwellers and bottom feeders as joe calls us to sit there and go hang on a minute no this sprint race was a bit rubbish and spa was odd go on matt sorry well, I wanted to ask because I've heard that there's like two levels of like the FIA controls being accredited for an event, but that the FOM also has its own media office that could completely blackball you if they were not a fan of your writing. And I was just curious if Mr. Carter knew anything about that or not. Um, to be honest, I don't really. Um, I know that um, accreditation is not necessarily a black or a white um, thing. Um, and that some, some people get accredited uh, that have got much less experience and much less sort of um, imprint, imprint followers yeah. or yeah. viewership or whatever than others. Um, with regard to the F1 journalists themselves, I mean, Liberty are a media company. Um, Bernie and, um, and CVC weren't. So it, it's going to have changed since they took over and they've got their own, We've talked about it before, but they 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 a thousand percent have their own narrative, and that narrative is to drive people to F1 TV. Um, that's the reason that they bought the sport. That's the reason that the you know that they've they've seen an increase in their their share price and the value of the sport since they've owned it. Um, but it is very much um, a media play, a US um, as a untapped or a reasonably untapped market that they believe that they could get into. That was that was the reason they bought the the the, the series. So um, to have their own journalists, you know, the likes of Will Buxton and even Jolian these days, you know, that are 
Um, I guess, again, they're given boundaries, they're given guidelines. Um, but I think Jolian, I mean, and Jolian obviously does his stuff for the BBC as well. I think Jolian's been pretty outspoken about the sprint racing and saying that he doesn't like it. Um, um, I would say the whole BBC crew has, uh, Jack as well and uh, Jenny Gow, they've all been very, like they haven't towed that company line that we were talking yeah. about earlier. When they think a thing, they, they, they say it, which is why I really admire that crew. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, for example, so Jolian um, was going to come to my my Formula E event, or he's going to come to my Formula E event. What he can and he can't do when he's there is very much he's restricted by his his contracts with BBC and with and with uh, F1. So you know, there there is there's you know there's they're contractual they're contracted and there's lines in the sand and you know they obviously do have to toe the party line at certain times. So you brought us very naturally onto. Uh, Liberty Media, which is fantastic. Uh, Mark Greenhow says, "Ooh, Saudi sale. Ask him about the Saudi sale. You were already going to ask him about the Saudi sale, weren't you? Well, yes, we we were, Mark. We're talking about all this progress made by Liberty Media, and we certainly have seen the impact on the US audience. So if we look at our, our percentages for viewing figures, the biggest proportion of our downloads now is is in the US by far. It's by far our biggest market. We are, when we're getting attention from journalists now, it's journalists in nfl who have found their way to f1 through drive to survive we got mentioned in matt what was the publication where they they linked directly to our podcast last week i've forgotten but it's it's big but i've you know i'm not so familiar with the u.s ones yeah i think it was vox sure yeah and when they were talking about the their new love of formula one they said podcasts and it was a hyperlink and it went straight to our homepage. Thank you very much. Amazing. Thank you very much, Vox. Um, but we've seen this massive interest from the US markets. So now when we hear these rumors of Liberty selling to a Saudi company or the government, that seems surprising. What, what's happening? Um, okay. So there's, um, as with all these things, there's, another, there's a number of different nuances to it. Um, so uh, yes, Liberty have made, a, made big strides in the US market. Um, and this might be slightly controversial, which is not unlike me, but I would, I would claim that a, quite a big chunk of that was fairly low hanging fruit. That was that was there. There was a general interest in motorsport, but for whatever reason, because of the European nature of the series, because of the way Bernie Eccleston was sort of viewed and seen, that maybe they they stayed away. Um, so I think Liberty came in with their eyes wide open. Um, I think they achieved a hell of a lot in the time that they've owned the sport so far. I think COVID and the pandemic obviously knocked them backwards a bit. Um, And then on top of all that, so I think they've achieved a chunk of what they can do fairly easily. I think the next big step for Liberty within the US market and within the global market is a little bit harder to to get to. Um, The next natural progression for Liberty would be for them to start to gradually and I think they already are, but to gradually to ditch the um, the local broadcasting deals and to gradually move everyone over to F1 TV. So Sky, that's a, yeah, we can say Sky, can't we? That's that's no, got, no, 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 yeah. no, from Sky, from Sky. So I think what what their their end game has always been, and and by end game, this could be in ten, fifteen years if they remain in charge. Their end game is that nobody has the rights to broadcast live F1 races except F1 TV. So if you want to watch an F1, whether you're in Nairobi or Pakistan or Mexico or London or Montreal or wherever, that you have to have F1 TV to watch 
a live race. That's where they want to get to at the end because they want every F1 fan to pay that $9.99 or whatever it may be. They believe that streaming services, Netflix, Amazon, all of these things are the way that people will consume content going forward and they want to drive everyone to F1 TV. So that was, that was kind of there was, and that's, I'm sure we've talked about that before, but that was a game plan from day one. So where they've gone between 2016 or 17 and now is, again, I'll reiterate, I think they've managed to grab a lot of the low-hanging fruit in the mm. US. They've managed to big up their market share and they've managed to increase the, in theory, the value of the company. So you link all that with pandemic, COVID, what's happened there and, and certain issues, and then link that also to what's going on in the Middle East. And, um, you know, Saudi Arabia are very aggressive in their approach towards uh, everything to do with sport. Okay, so they're having, you know, heavyweight world championship boxing fights. They've got a Formula E race there. They're going to have a Formula One race there. You know, they're they're doing... They're doing everything they can to increase the uh, the visibility of Saudi, if you like. If you then sort of broaden it slightly and you look at the the area, that, that Middle Eastern area, um, and you've got Bahrain, had both tests this year, had two races, uh, two races last year, one race this year. It looks pretty certain that Qatar are going to have a race this year. Yes. Saudi are going to have a race this year. And then the season finale is going to be Abu Dhabi, as it has been since they came on the calendar. So you've got four races in that in that area, as well as the testing. Um, so all of a sudden, that area sort of has a lot of weight in terms of the F1 geography, if you like. Um, and Saudi have got a hell of a lot of money. So from what I understand, an approach has been made. Um, from what I understand, Liberty didn't immediately slam the door closed because why would they? You know, the in theory, the sport has almost doubled if you look at valuations. I think they paid about six or seven billion. If you look at the share price, the valuation now, it's somewhere north of 10, 10, 11 billion, something really? like that. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, the thing's heading in the right direction. You would assume if the Saudis came in, they would pay a premium um, to buy them out. So all of a sudden, it looks like a pretty good deal that Liberty did. Um, and you've got to look at the the long game you know you you've always when you when you buy a business or when you take on a business you look at short medium and long term goals um and i think they've probably hit their short term goals as a, i'll keep saying the same phrase but in terms of hitting that low hanging fruit in the us um and then maybe their medium term goal is to grow the sport but then if all of a sudden someone walks in and you're going to double your money um in an area that isn't really your first area um you know they've not got Chase Carey's left now. Stefano's come in. He is an F1 man, but the rest of them, they're not F1 people. They're media people. Um, anyway. That's- well, uh, my question about this, it, could this be ideal for maybe not all of the sport, but for a significant chunk of the sport? Or could it be the a deal where Saudi says, we want to buy the sport, but then what we want to do is turn around and hire you yeah. to keep on doing what you're doing with the media end of it and with F1 TV. Yeah, that's a really good question because like, do they, do they have that expertise? Is there a Liberty media version in, in Saudi that's ready to come in and, and take over? Not necessarily, but um, my, and this, and this is kind of my understanding and my impression of my dealings. The Saudis don't tend to play very well with other people. So, you know, I think when they, when they move into something, I think they would, they would look to, um, 
to take control. Uh, how that would look, I don't know. I mean, even if they bought the, you have to remember if they if they bought it outright, like Liberty bought CVC or Bernie Eccleston outright, you t- you take on all of the staff that are, are currently employed. It's not as mm. if you, yeah, um, you, you, okay, you don't get the the external Liberty Media side of things, but you get the hardcore people that have run F1 probably for the last 25 years because uh, there's still a chunk of them that are still there. I mean, Bernie's lieutenants, if you like, all fell away. Um, there is a changing of the guard there. I, I see it every time I, you know, when I'm I'm looking to get paddock passes and, and paddock club passes, the personnel changes year on year. Um, but ultimately, you know, the Saudis would take over. If, if, if the deal happened, I think the Saudis would take over and they would take on the people that are there and then, you know, they've got enough money to go and employ the best of the best. It's not, uh, it's, it's not. And again, without being too simplistic about things, it's not rocket science. It's, uh, you know, they're running a, a sporting championship. They're not trying to uh, split the atom. Yeah. So when I run a karting event and people say, oh, you put on such a great event. It was so brilliant. I go, well, honestly, the go-karts did most of the work. <laughs> I just had, I had to make sure everyone had crisps uh, alongside it. So the inevitable question that people will be asking is, if and and it looks like it's a, a maybe if someone was to come in and, and and buy f1 from liberty is that good or bad or neutral for the sport and i have to say in general i am a fan of liberty media being in charge of f1 and i call it my sport because i love it I, i'm happy with liberty media owning my sport don't necessarily agree with everything that they're doing but it all seems to be coming from the right place. You know, they, 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 it's a passion for how can we make people enjoy this sport whilst making money as well? I know we can talk sprint races and stuff, which I definitely don't agree with, but the stewardship of, of Liberty Media, I'm, I'm happy. What about you, Matt? I'm, I'm happy with Liberty owning it because they're not stuck in the mud. The old regime, it felt like they were stuck in their ways. They were going to do what they wanted to do. With Liberty, at least... It's a moving, working, greased machine. That's all. I think that Liberty's profit-making model is based on getting more people involved and excited about the sport. It is less closed off than Bernie's model for making money. And I think that will benefit the teams and the sport over the long run, 100%. Yeah, see, Peter Shilcott is saying in the chat room, oh, I thought Liberty were in for the long run. And I think they probably are in for the long run. But yeah. like Mr. Carter says, you know, it's hard to turn down. Okay, you're in for the long run. Would you change your plans for $7 billion? Yeah, sure. I can sit on a beach. Well, that's the, that's the old classic uh, stupid comment, really, isn't it? Where people say, you know, everything is for sale. You know, you turn around and say, I'll never sell my house. I'm going to live here until the day I die. And someone says, oh, what's it valued at? Say, oh, it's valued at £500,000. And they say, okay, well... If I gave you 20 million, would you sell it? Well, yeah, of course I would. Okay, so there's a price. Yeah. There's a price somewhere for, for most things in life. And, um, you know, Liberty or a business, um, they have to re- respond to shareholders. You know, all of those boring things that make the world go round. Um, and, yeah, I think that they, I think genuinely, I think they've, I think it's not been a, a complete um easy path for liberty you know they've they've had ups and downs they've had some fairly horrible times you know they've 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 run the sport through the last two years which has been uh oh yeah must have been a it must have been really hard um so it's not been it's not been a walk in the park for them um but yeah i I think they would like to stay but as i say i think if a crazy offer came out of the woodwork that they would and and my understanding is that there has been 
there's certainly interest from Saudi. My understanding is that the door hasn't been firmly slammed in their face. Um, where that develops from here, you know, we'll have to sit back and, and wait and see. Just a tiny detour I want to take, but Matt, you first. Well, I, I was just going to add that as far as I'm concerned, if all they did was sponsor Drive to Survive, they've done the sport a tremendous amount of good. Yeah, I think they've had a bit of vision in their in their promo. I think you you call it the low hanging fruit, but that low hanging fruit was always yeah. there. It just you know they were still they still had to go and um, they had to go and take it. Uh, and I'm not just being nice about them because I've slagged off the sprint race a lot, and I'm trying to try. Is that not the definition of low hanging fruit? <laughs> oh yeah, that is okay. the definition of low hanging fruit, isn't it? It's always there. It's someone you have to go and take it. But yeah, at it's... least they took it. At least they took yes. it. So the sprint Agreed. race, the sprint race is one of these examples of things where they, they're at least trying something. I don't think it worked. But the viewing figures came out for the sprint race and, and the difference between people watching on Friday, I think the Saturday was broadly the same, Sunday broadly the same, but they massively increased the viewing figures on uh, on the Friday. So as much as we don't like it, I don't think that is going anywhere at all because those kind of figures might speak for themselves. Um, but yeah, so I think we're stuck with it. Yeah, well, and you know how I would go on about how I really like the Friday qualifying? Turns out the drivers kind of like it too, because it makes Friday a lot more entertaining for them to have so little time to get things right, yeah. and then to have an actual meaningful thing to do on Friday. But I think where everybody agrees is that while the broad idea of the sprint race on Saturday is a good one, they haven't really nailed it down yet in a way that makes it worth having in the way the other parts of the Grand Prix weekend are worth having. So I think it was Charles Leclerc who said that the Friday is now pretty intense and he likes it because you've got to get up to speed quickly and get that stuff done on a Friday. Okay, there's some merit in that. Obviously, from your point of view, Mr. Carter, and you are now uh, an FIA race event organiser for the Vancouver E-Prix, if they were to increase the amount of days where people are getting eyeballs on your event, I mean, you'd bite their hand off. Absolutely. And that, and that's what I've done with 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 my event in Vancouver, which is just to detract ever so quickly. It's, it. it's Formula E, and Formula E is generally one day. Um, you know, we've increased it to three days by adding other events into that weekend for exactly that reason. And it, and it is to get more people on site and to get more people, you know, uh, being involved in it and to get a you know we've we've renamed what we're doing as the as the Canadian E Fest. So it's a it's a whole weekend. It's a whole festival of all things to do with electric cars and electrification and mobility. Um, and that's kind of what F1 are trying to do as well. You know, the promoters Fridays, even for the promoters was, a uh, wasn't a dead day. It wasn't a write off of a day, but it was certainly, you know, it was nowhere near as big as the Saturday and the Sunday. And for the amount that they're asking these promoters to pay, you know, they need to have some value somewhere. Um, and that much as I love Bernie to death, that was one of the things that Bernie just closed his ears to, you know, he wasn't interested. he, his attitude and it was very much you pay your money i'll bring the circus to town and you know you do what you have to do to sell tickets you don't sell tickets i don't really care if you sell tons of tickets i don't really care because you've already paid me and i've already got my money from the tv broadcasters yeah his attitude was always well if you can't make that work there's somebody else out there who will and they'll give me yep. the same amount of money so really yep. not my problem We've had a few questions and we will just divert into Formula E just for a little while because it's linked to to um, to F1 teams. Oh, there was a few people. Jack asked this. Um, it was Alan Dunlop as well, who uh, Dunlap, who asked us about uh, your opinion for the sprint race formats too. Um, and uh, Stefan Baratheon. 
Baratheon, Game of Thrones. Oh my goodness, he's going to come take over. Uh, what happened uh, at the Mercedes EQFE team? Basically, the, the 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 tilt of these questions is: Are you concerned, as now a Formula E race promoter, with these big teams, including Mercedes, having pulled out of the sport, or is that just a reshaping profile of the teams? Um, I can't say that I'm not concerned um, because it's it's not a good trend that that it seems that seems to be going on. However, having said that, I understand. I understand what's going on. Um, so none of the, so some of the manufacturers that have announced their intention to leave, the teams will remain, um, and also the the manufacturers supplying the powertrains will remain as well. Um, it's just the team in its sort of current name will change. Um, so specifically with Mercedes, and I can talk a little bit about that. Um, so specifically with Mercedes. The reason that I've been told that they are uh, are stepping down, so they're still there for next year. So my first year in Vancouver, they'll be participating. Um, the reason that they've said they want to step down, and they've left the door open to come back if they want to, but the reason they've said is because they believed they were going to have more um, say over the next generation of cars, so the Gen 3 Formula E cars. They believed they were going to have more, there was going to be more... Um, more right for them to uh, create a difference, if you like. So instead of it being very much a spec series, yeah. you know, they believe that the rules were going to be loosened a little bit. There was going to be more aerodynamic area, more aerodynamic places that they could improve, more technical areas that they could improve. And when they caught sight of the potential or the proposed Gen 3 um, specifications, they didn't think that it was going to give them enough leeway to prove that they could make a big difference. Um, and for teams like Mercedes-Benz, and probably the same with BMW as well, I think the fact that it is such a close series isn't necessarily a good thing. Um, so going into the last weekend of Formula E, I mean, it's crazy to, to say it, but I think the stat was 18 of the drivers could have still won the world championship going into the last weekend. Which, as a as a fan, as a as a as a race fan in general, is great. As a manufacturer that's trying to prove themselves, is mm. quite frankly, it's it's crazy, and it's you know, it's it's they must have been sitting there thinking, you know, we're going into this weekend, we could either end up first, which they did, or we could end up, you know, in in down in 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 sort of fifth or sixth or something like that, and and I think that sort of. Um, Vertility, if you like, is is not necessarily good, and it's and it's not what Mercedes Benz were were in there for. Okay, so th- this this has implications for Formula One. I mean, Mercedes have massively enjoyed their advantage that they've been able to leverage on Formula One. They've had the um, the big staff. They've poured a ton of money. Um, they've obviously they've obviously hired the best people as well, and have been able to just come in and dominate Formula One. So if the if the cost cap has an effect, which I know you've been vocal that it, it probably won't. But if, okay, oh, if you've changed on that, that's interesting. No, no, I've not changed. But and again, just if there's anyone new listening, I didn't say it wouldn't work. I said in its current guise, it's not going to work. I think it's a great step that they've got a marker in the sand, but the 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 line in the sand, the marker that they've laid down right now, isn't going to change anything for for the reasons that we've stated before. Yeah, so go on. A, lot of, yeah. a lot of that is yeah. the exemptions. So you were pointing exactly. to there's so many exemptions in there that they could broadly yeah. still maintain yeah. their advantage. But does that then have an influence on just the fabric of the sport? We talk all the time about the engineering challenge and how much of the part should be specced. And as the sport gets more and more complex, 
there's more areas that you can have specs or that are up for debate whether you should have a spec series or not. So when they're deciding the new regulations for 2022 next year and, and onwards and the new engine regulations, is is there a big influence from the big boys saying, if you don't give us space to grow and to have an advantage, we, we might leave? And and that, and then Formula E has, has taken the opposite approach, which was like, well, I guess they've got accepted that and said, well, okay, well, we'll leave. We want to keep it close and tight. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, this this could be a whole five hour debate. Obviously, Let's but do it. yeah, in 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 simplistic terms, yeah. a, a thousand percent, you're right. Again, the nuances that that come with that. Um, so, what actually happened in F1, which is quite an interesting, along a similar line or, yeah. or the same line, was when they were talking about customer cars. Um, I don't know if you remember. So, the idea was that you could go and buy. And I know people will be shouting at the um, at their PCs or, or wherever they're consuming this. The, um, that's what Racing Point did or Aston Martin did. But the idea was that you could go and buy last year's Mercedes-Benz. Um, you know, we could buy it as the Mist Apex team. We could yeah, liberate man. it up and, and away we race. <laughs> and the, and the, to be honest, that was actually encouraged by the top teams because it was a way of them, um, it's the best way to word it, is a good way of them having a value at the end of a season. So instead of writing off everything that they've done this year, Mercedes-Benz and Red Bull, you know, when 2022 regulations come in, that's all written off. That car obviously doesn't go to scrap, but that car just gets moved over to one side and they start to create a brand new, a brand new car, brand new chassis. Um, the idea was if if they could, if they had a resale value for that, yeah. if it was five million or yeah. ten million, that's an extra five million, ten million. So the big teams actually went for that. Mm-hmm. It was voted against by the smaller teams. Because there was nowhere for them to go. So where was a back back in the day? Where was a Williams or a Racing Point or a Lotus or a McLaren going to go if somebody could walk in with a ton of cash and say, "Okay, right, I'm buying an entry. I want to buy Lewis's car from last year, and I'm going to stick um, George Russell in it, and and away we go." And then all of a sudden, all the thousands of hours of manufacturing all go down the drain. So that was an angle which the top teams actually went for yeah. because I yeah. believe that they thought that they could still exist in that um, ecosystem. Well, well, the opposite side of it has, has sort of failed because if you look at the alternative for teams coming in, Marussia, Caterham, Haas, unfortunately, it's it's proved impossible for teams to come in and do well. In fact, Aston Martin, Matt, is the only team that has come in and done relatively okay as a quote-unquote new team by essentially doing what Mr. Carter has outlined there and allegedly taking the 2019 Mercedes car. I would disagree with you uh, in regards to Haas, uh, but certainly with regards to American bias. Everyone heard that. Everyone heard the American bias. Well, no. I mean, go look at where they finished in the championship the first two years they were in the sport. Uh, but with regards to the others, they were all brought in, and this is interesting, on the premise of a pretty severe cost cap yes. mm. that they felt would make them competitive. And then that cost cap did not materialize. And to the surprise of no one, they were unable to be competitive on a third to a fourth of the budget of the people against whom they were competing. Yeah. And, and the, way, the way we got down the path of this conversation, though, was uh, talking about the 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 core reasons behind those rules so you know is the fact that those big teams want to keep that advantage stopping us becoming more competitive and more of a spec series got no go on yes. mate it's okay if you wanted to pile um, in. 
Yeah, I would think so. I, I would think it's a balancing act. And I, I actually, I wanted to ask Mr. Carter, because one of the things that just happened over the previous weekend was a big meeting about the upcoming power unit regulations. And we can see viscerally how much input yeah. the manufacturers have to the shape of the regulations. Uh, but with regards to Formula E, they seem to have much less. And so if I'm a manufacturer, if I'm understanding you correctly, my inputs are either I can do, I can call this a research exercise, in which case I want lots of inputs into how the things are built, or I can call it a marketing exercise, in which case a close championship is good, like, you know, DTM or, you know, Elms or something like that. But in, in return, it can't cost me very much. And a lot of people got to watch it. And somehow Formula E has managed to slightly miss the mark with the big manufacturers that way. I think so. Yes. I mean, again, I, I don't want to go into a, a yeah. ton of detail, but I, I think potentially that could be one of the issues that is that's facing some of the teams in Formula E. But again, just to close that to close that bracket, I think the um, the good thing is that the teams will remain um, under different names, and potentially there'll be more privateers or or, or whatever. I'm not sure how it's going to work, but the teams will remain. Um, yeah, and I th I think the sport is still healthy. Um, you know, there's there's McLaren have got an option to go in there. I think. I think McLaren are, are potentially going to pick up their option next year to go into Formula E. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's just different. And you have to remember, Formula E is a young sport as well. It's a young series. They're learning. They're they're trying to find their own feet. And uh, and I think they they some of the manufacturers may be caught up a little bit. In, got caught up in the Ferrari of all the uh, electric cars and and needing to be there. And then maybe took a step back once they were there and realized that they could do uh, different things. Well, we really should have a Formula E podcast again. I did say, I said to you, Matt, I said, Matt, start a, a Matt Trumpet's Formula E podcast. You do it. You produce it. I'll, I'll watch the odd race. I'll come be, I'll be a panelist. Not like, not even like the co-host. I'll be like a, I'll be like a Phil Pot coming in and going, ah, uh, tell me the name of a Formula E driver. Anyone. Well, Lucas Degrassi. Lucas Degrassi is a discreet. Like, am I being Phil Pot enough? I hate him. I, I hope he falls in a pit. Yeah, I can be, do that. I can do the Phil Pot role. Uh, you could go back to the race that you watched the very first season where he absolutely <laughs> put Buemi out of the race for the championship. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. 
Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I think I want to roll this on. I want to roll this on back to Formula One and uh, talking about sponsorships because so here at Miss Apex Podcast, we are very lucky. People will come and, and chat to us. And we used to do this thing where when when we thought we had a scoop, we would say Miss Apex understands. And I'll kind of stop doing that because it's <laughs> so stressful. It's so stressful when you have got a scoop and you, you put it out. You have to put up with a few days of everybody calling you an idiot beyond the people who know that, you know, you don't say these things unless we're sure. So we kind of stopped doing that because it's a bit stressing. But we are lucky that people will just drop little nuggets in our inbox. And I just try to be honest with you guys, whether it is I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure with this source that the source is sure. So the person who's told me is sure. Therefore, I'm passing it on to you and you can take that for what it's worth. This isn't one of those. This is just a lovely little drop into my inbox uh, that that uh, detailed things I know nothing about sponsorship. So I'm just going to regurgitate that to you, Mr. Carter, and see what you think. Um, I got just a little drop in my inbox saying uh, Philip Morris are, are going to cease their sponsorship and support of Ferrari. And that involvement will be replaced entirely with Amazon. And I put that rumor out to the internet and, I, and AWS got in touch and said there was a 47.62% chance of that happening. So what do, what do you think? <laughs> Such a bad joke. Oh, come on. Um, it was okay. The, um, the Philip Morris thing I knew about, um, I knew about that a few months ago um, because Ferrari were actively out looking for a new, uh, a new sponsor. Um, the Philip Morris, it's it's a strange one. It's, it's you know, they've been involved in Ferrari all this time. You know, they clearly are, for, again, without wishing to to dumb this down, you know, they're a tobacco company. Um, they sell Marlboro, you know, they, you know, and they can't, they can't advertise tobacco or cigarettes or anything to do with that on the, on the Ferrari car. Um, they stayed in a lot of other tobacco companies pulled out, um, obviously. Um and they maintained it on the Ferrari, well, in the Ferrari camp, if you like, for all these years. And I always struggled to see how they were how they were benefiting from it. You know, they um, this is the a mission, mission winner, isn't it? Exactly, the mission winner thing was strange. Um, you know, they always uh, and again, and I know everyone knows this, but you know, just just to reiterate, you know, the the red car with the white. Um, sort of the white triangle cut out the back of it was supposed to replicate a packet of Marlboro cigarettes. The color that Ferrari F1 team races in is not a Ferrari red. It's actually Marlboro red. Um, you know, there's all these little sort of nuances to their relationship. Um, and I guess, you know, Philip Morris could use it as a, as a hospitality, as a market, as a, as a, as a, you know, way to take their potential customers or their important customers to, to races. And, and F1 is very good for that. Um, but the amount of money they were putting in, it seemed like a no brainer that at some point they were going to mm. 
decide they can do something more uh, more interesting with their cash. Um, so they've made the decision. Um, as I say, I don't I don't necessarily find it surprising, um, but that's what they're doing. The Amazon thing I hadn't heard until you sent me a message. Um, uh, yes, and to and- me. Yeah, I have nothing thinking, solid on that at all. That's just. No, no, I know, yeah. I know, and I, but I, we can talk around it. It, it. To me, it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. I don't see why Amazon would. Was it specifically AWS or was it Amazon as the broader no, Amazon? No, so so what was said to me was was Amazon, but obviously AWS is is an Amazon product, and yep. I, I have heard from other sources that. Amazon's presence around Grand Prix has been increasing, which is why I wasn't surprised, Matt. Well, uh, without giving anything away at all, um, I happen to know from someone who is now employed by an F1 team that there is a move to offload computing operations, particularly during Grand Prix weekends, to um, like cloud server farms. Let's just call them that not necessarily on location and reserve the computing um, power at the factory for the important telemetry and so on and so forth. So it, for me, un- having heard that, it would make sense that Amazon might be interested because they have a massive cloud presence now. Jeff Bezos is going to do an FP1 session, isn't it? That's, that's the end game. I know. Yeah. All right. As long as the car's... Not the same shape as his rocket. I think we'll be okay. So, yeah, I mean, we're into rumour and speculation there. But, um, you know, Ferrari's obviously a massive team. I think Amazon's involvement is is already is already um, increasing in the sport anyway. Um, is that it? It's just a, it's an interesting shift away. It's like the last yeah, relic, yeah, no, isn't it's, it? It's the yeah. last relic of the 80s F1 sponsorship deals. Yeah, no, it's definitely interesting. It's and and it's and the potential is there. Um, as I say, I, I hadn't heard the rumor. I'm not sure necessarily the fit. I, what Matt says makes a lot of sense. Um, back in my day, there was always a big issue with latency. Um, that was one of the big problems with storing any of the information for because it needs to be instant. You know, all of the the feedback that the F1 teams need needs to be instant. So there was always a latency issue with. Uh, with storing information in uh, in farms or offsite, um, which is why most of the F1 teams, including Lotus, had a huge data storage centre within the factory. Um, but uh, but you know things have moved on. Maybe it it kind of makes sense. I uh, Amazon are kind of I guess if you look at it in the holistic way, then maybe uh, old stinky tobacco companies of the past have been replaced by the likes of Amazon for the future. Let's talk spin. I uh, I occasionally read things. I know Matt thinks I don't read stuff, and it's true. My reading since Netflix got quite good has gone down massively. Why use your imagination when pictures can paint a thousand words? So, I did break that to read a thing from one of my favourite journalists, uh, Mr Chris Medland, writing for Racer.com, who did an, an article <clears throat> about the Aston Martin team. And uh, a quote from... Otmar Schaffnauer about Lance Stroll. Okay, okay, brace yourselves, people. And Mr. Carter clearly has read the same article or at least knows of the quote. I was laughing at your (laughs) pronunciation of Otmar's surname. It's all good. Schaffnauer. Yep, perfect. The key is to say it differently every time. Then you can't be equally wrong every single time. Okay, this is a quote, though, from Otmar. Let's pretend we're best friends. Old Otmar, Otzi, as we call him, down the golf club. Lance 
Lance Stroll, if you're not aware, Lance Stroll. Lance is one of the most gifted drivers in modern Formula One. And to that raw talent, he is now adding serious racecraft. A four-time world champion having driven 271 Grand Prix, of which he has won uh, 53. Sebastian, he's also a massive asset to our team. Note that Lance was first. And next year, we expect both of them to, to race well in what will be a very different formula from the current one. Matt, I'm going to say it again to you, because I know you're old. I'm going to say it again. Lance is one of the most gifted drivers in Formula One, and to that raw talent, he is now adding serious racecraft. Uh, not a lie there. His dad gifted him an entire Formula One team. Okay, yes. So he has been the most gifted. Okay, so my question is, and I'm not, I'm not entertaining the possibility that Lance Stroll is one of the most gifted raw talents in Formula One. I'm, I'm, You're not I'm, entertaining I'm that. not, I'm not entertaining okay, that. Okay. that. That's just a thing. He may as well have said, but Lance Stroll has won 17 races and then just stared me out. Well, he didn't win 17 races. It's the same level of truthiness. But I'm wondering about the motivation. Is there a genuine bubbling feeling in Aston Martin that Lance Stroll really is this raw talent? And that could be a passionate but incorrect view. Or is this one of the weirdest PR gaslighting exercises we've ever seen? So uh, when I look at your situation in Formula One, you, you did have a talented fast driver, a fast driver in the form of Pastor Maldonado. But how, how much pressure is there to, to talk about a driver in favourable terms, say with someone with the reputation of Pastor Maldonado, it's a little bit different with Aston Martin, with Lawrence Stroll owning the team. I, I, just, I just found this such a bizarrely... Why not just say, hey, Lance is coming on. He's really competent. He's, he is safe. He is getting the... He grinds out results. He is polite. Why, why not... Why not, like, just talk about, like, his real attributes? Hmm. I found the whole thing so weird. Wipes his feet when he comes into the motor <laughs> exactly. home. He's loved by Actually, grandmothers. I, I, bet, I bet he doesn't do that at all. Um, I, I don't, again, as with many of your questions, there's a ton of different uh, sub-questions within that. Um, so where do we start? So in terms of drivers, drivers are very precious, um, all of them. Everyone that I came into contact with, they all need their egos. Um, building up a little bit they all need to be you know you just look at the the way that Daniel Ricciardo has been speaking or people have been speaking about him since he wanted in fact an easier one is is Esteban Ocon and I know it's one that might um that will maybe trigger a little bit with Matt but you know he won a race um he did a thing he won a race when you know there was you know a number of other people could have you know they, it was a strange race there was lots going on um, but he did. But you look at the way that he grew as a person, or even seemed to grow as a person, just on the back of that of that race win. Um, Ricciardo. The only reason that I, I swerved back to Ocon was maybe because um, last weekend on that race on that given day, McLaren probably could should have maybe won that. You know, it's it's rare that one of the lower teams in a fully dry race with no other extenuating circumstances. I get everything that went on with the sprint, sprint race. I get the fact that Max and Lewis tried to uh, mount each other in the, in the first corner. Um, but that being said, I think, you know, maybe Ricciardo would have won anyway. Um, he was but, ahead. He was still ahead at that time. Absolutely. But I, 
my gut tells me that one of those two would have caught him. Would, would they have been able to pass him? I don't know. Um, Matt obviously says believes not. Um, You're ruining the you, romance. I'm ruining it, or he's or no, you're me. ruining it. The McLarens no, no, were no, out at front. All. I, were, no, well, hang on. I mean, let, let's but let's be realistic. And I don't want to be all <laughs> Joe. I don't want to be all Joe on you. But um, <laughs> it's um, you know, it is at, at, at the moment the way that the, the the sport is set up. It's there's only you know you go into a race weekend at this precise moment in time thinking that two guys are going to sure. win the race. Um, and if anything other than that happens, there's generally a quirk to the the race weekend in one way, shape, or form. And um, I, that's not going to detail because that again we've gone off on a on a on a track. So what I was saying is, drivers they need to be um, praised. They need to have their massages, uh, their egos massaged, their egos yeah. massaged. Mm. Um, and and that's a lot of what a lot of what what I had to do, what team bosses have to do. That's why you will always big up your drivers, even if you really don't believe that that's the case. Um, you know, I feel for Gunter and I feel for um, even the guys at Williams, you know, they, they have to go and they have to say all these nice things about their drivers, um, even if they don't necessarily believe it. Um, so that, so that's one thing. What Otmar has said takes that to a whole nother level. <laughs> Thank and you. I think that's why it's, that's why it's jumped off the page Yeah, is because as you rightly said, he could have just said, you know, he's doing well. We see improvements, you know, he's learning from Sebastian. He's getting on track, but for the, for him to go that far. Um, and because of what I know about Lawrence, having dealt with him a few times, I don't, I, and I know Otmar pretty well as well. Um, I have a feeling that the script that was written there was written by Lawrence and his team. And it was put in front of Otmar. And let's be clear, Otmar's not stupid. Otmar's a very clever guy. He's a very racing savvy guy. Um, he wouldn't have said that if he wasn't told to say it. That's, 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 the, that's the be all and the end all. And because whatever anyone says, and I'm not going to go on a, on a Brad rant, but it's not true. It's clearly not yes. true. It's clearly not so, true. So, you know, you. it's not, as you just said, for him to sit there and say he's won 17 races and stare you down is, is, is on the same, is on the same trajectory. You know, he isn't one of the most talented, you know, he's, he's a good race driver. You know, you yeah. don't get to drive an F1 car and not be a good race driver. You know, it, it doesn't happen. It's, um, so he is, you know, he's got talent, but, to say those things yeah, and the it, reason for saying it, I don't know, you know, I don't know what they're, what they're, you know, they've got a lot of sponsors there that they're bringing on board. You know, Lawrence is piling money into that. I think they, they broke ground on their new factory last week. There was lots of lovely pictures of an F1 car parked in a field, which looked a bit strange um, with Lawrence with a gold shovel. Um, well, I'm, I'm, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm glad you've not called me mad for thinking that that statement was mad. It, it did sort oh, of leap out as not, a sore thumb. You are mad for lots of other reasons, but yeah, not on that specific not that not on that specific topic. That was not. That's not mad. No, it's it's a it's a very strange thing for him to say. And I think, as I say, understanding a little bit the way Lawrence runs his businesses and the amount of people that have left that team in the last few months is. Uh, is really racking up, you know, behind the scenes, you know, like in the legal team and the sponsorship team, there's, there's, there's a lot of people that have left. Um, and that's Lawrence's way, you know, he's, he's put the money in. It's his, it's his, uh, it's his, it's his toy and he's going to play with it the way that he wants to play with it. Well, that's the clips for tomorrow's promo sorted. Anyway, to be completely clear, 
I, I, I'm, I, this isn't me really assaulting what Lance Stroll has done. Honestly, like he's had an unprecedented opportunity to have six seasons as a pay driver. Most pay drivers really don't last that long. And with that investment and opportunity, he has formed himself to be a driver that we very rarely complain about. He's not someone who is wild, who is, is crazy. He's consistently strollish. And uh, and he's shown up well uh, against a couple of very good teammates. But not, let's not... be clear, Aston Martin should be doing better this season than they are. Yes, and I think what they have got is they've got a really good driver in Sebastian Vettel, who is, like every single driver who moved teams, struggling a little bit and not quite... He's also at the potential. end of his career. Yeah, but I think every driver, even though Ricardo won, look, we're whatever, 12 races into the season... And that is taking him all that time to get up to speed. I really don't. I'm. I'm not. A, I'm not. A, I'm not agreeing with that argument. Okay, no, I'm not then. saying no, that from on. you. Not not from you. Mm. I I hear that from lots of people saying that the people that have moved teams, it's really really difficult. It's really really hard. I if they've gone out of the sport and come back into it like Alonso, I get it. Uh, moving from one team to another, couple of races, they should be up to speed. There's no. There's there's no reason that they're not and. It's people, in my opinion, it's people trying to sugarcoat the fact that these drivers aren't as good as they think they are, that people think they are. So I think that Norris, and actually this hit me during this season, Norris is better than I thought he is. And Norris and Sainz are better than I thought they were. Sainz has gone to Ferrari, Ferrari and he has absolutely not been made a mug of by Charles Leclerc, which could well have happened. Norris is... I don't know, he stayed within the team and you could say somebody else has come into it, but he's absolutely, um, really, has dominated over over Ricciardo. Um, and my takeaway from that is that Norris and Science are better drivers than I thought they were in a team that for the last few seasons maybe hasn't been at that level, but that they are great drivers. Um, the rest of them, Vettel moving, he's, he's old. He's, 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 everyone knew that. You know, and there was a, there was a, there was a strong discussion point that that was one of the reasons that Lawrence Stroll brought him in there that to be able to turn around and it goes to the same point that we were just talking about for them to be able to turn around and say Lance has beaten a four-time world champion look how good he is uh is a great storyline um but Vettel you know well we saw at the end of Ferrari you know he's not you know I think this is his last hurrah and uh he's he's trying to milk it for the last little bit of uh cash that he can get before he goes off to bee farm or whatever he's doing. Sebastian Vettel, he's, he's super old. He's 34. 34 years old. We're super old. But, but he does have three kids, so that adds on like five years. Each year is like five years in parent years. Yeah, I, <laughs> I absolutely agree. Uh, okay, good. Uh, well, oh, who what, else? So oh, hang on. So before we finish that, so mm-hmm. who else do you think has moved teams and has really, really struggled to get on the pace? Well, all the drivers who weren't in that who? seat last so year. Alonso, have all Alonso came out from out of the sport, so we can't put him in the same category. I don't think. Well, that was one and of I think my he's examples. now pretty much back on on speed. Sinoda. Uh, Science into Ferrari. You're saying yeah, well, that you okay, think well, uh, Science has been binning it in practice quite a lot and uh, doing his weekends no well, nobody watches practices and nobody's interested in practices that's when they push the limit of the car what's yeah. he doing in races compared to Leclerc Sonoda uh... Sonoda's came from outside he's not moved teams okay well, that's all the no shut up Matt that is all the Perez drivers is, no Perez has moved teams <laughs> yes. and is and that has all that has done in my opinion is made us realise how good Max Verstappen is and I know that's not a um 
that's not a party line of this podcast. Oh, you like to do you like to diss it. him. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. No, but I think all that has done has made people realize how, or, or you've you've realized how good Max Verstappen is. Sure. That that's another teammate that's come in there. Um, but where I do agree like, with you, and I, I, where I do agree with you, is that Aston Martin could be could be doing better with their driver lineup. Should. Yeah, maybe, but it's not going to happen because Lance Stroll is definitely going to be there. And and you're right; they may have like a like a like a mama lion. They have put like a lame. Oh, I don't want to. I'm not calling Sebastian Vettel like a lame gazelle, but you know how like a lion will like injure a gazelle and then give it to their cub to finish off. <laughs> like, is that what they're doing, Matt? Maybe. I, I mean, I, I like Mr. Carter's presumption that if Vettel did less than well, they could say, oh, look, Stroll yeah. has now beaten a four-time world champion. Oh, yeah. What I want to ask his opinion of is there was this rumor that Alonso had been approached about that Aston Martin seat for next season. Did you pick up anything or what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I think... Um, I, I, Okay, I don't know for sure, um, but it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest because that's Lawrence Stroll's uh, modus operandi. That's that's the way that he works. He's looking for uh, big names to put in that team. When he rebranded it as Aston Martin, Alonso would have been top of the list. Uh, Alonso and Vettel clearly would have been top of the list. World champions, they go into the team, you know, uh, they teach, they learn, they they try and the, the team builds with them. Um Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's necessarily worked. The, the best teammate to have had over the, the last 10 years in Formula One is Kimi Raikkonen because he came with a reputation. No, absolutely. He came with a reputation of being a world champion, of being uh, this much-loved driver, but he was very beatable by any of the top drivers oh, okay, on the grid. okay, good. So that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, like people like uh, you know, Alonso and, and Vettel had their reputations massively enhanced by being the number one driver over Kimi Raikkonen. There's going to be some emails there, isn't there? Matt. Is Valtteri, is Valtteri at... falling into that, that <laughs> thing now? That's where he's going now. Well, that's that's an interesting place to take us because what about that second seat at Alfa Romeo? Because Joe mentioned, Matt, who was the, the Williams driver, the potential Williams driver uh, that Joe was talking about? Piastri. Piastri, there we go. I was desperate not to say the, the, the Blade Runner athlete guy's name instead. But there's... a. Uh, there's an increasing sentiment on like Reddit and stuff like that, that his seat is going to be stolen by, by Joe, by Zoo, by, um, how do, how do we say this name? By Joe. Um, Joe. And and this is the difference between, do you appeal to the Chinese market or do you put a talented driver in? So who is Bartas going to be facing? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Do uh, Alfa Romeo trying to sell lots of cars in China? I don't know. I, I don't know. All right. Feels like a dead I he's got, uh, um, hang on, sorry about. I was going to say, but Renault probably is, and yeah, he's an sure. Alpine Academy driver after having been a Ferrari Academy driver, so he has connections both sides. And, and Mia in our chat just points out purely that that Joe could just come in with just cash and just cash. Come and just yeah, buy, yeah, yeah. Buy he him. has got a chunk of cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think uh, Alpha Sauber, whatever you want to call them, I think they they do need that. Um, all right. Well, why don't we finish up the show by pandering to Matt Trumpets? You can follow on Twitter at MattPT55. And I'm just going to I'm gonna do a bit of damage limitation, Mr. Carter, because you would have upset Matt greatly by taking away Ocon's win earlier. So just, just bear with me for a little bit. Matt, 
He did super well at the start and got past loads of people, and that's why he was at the front. Definitely deserved that win. Ignore mean Mr. Carter. I won't ignore you. I think the fundamental aspect of his win was his ability to defend an entire race from Vettel, who is no slouch and was burning more fuel than him by a not insignificant amount. The driver that we've just described as a wounded gazelle being fed to a lion cub, that's that's the driver you want to say he defended against. If it's going to work for Lawrence Stroll... It's got to work for Ocon. It's sure going to work for Ocon. That's all I'm going to say. Now, I have a couple of questions. For the record, but for the, for the record, I love Ocon to pieces, as you know. He was one of my junior drivers. I've got a lot of faith and belief. My point was that it wasn't a standard, straightforward weekend where the winner won on outright pace, which I tend to think that the McLaren 1-2 from last weekend was more about as opposed to Ocon. No, too late. France hates you now. Trumpets. Okay. I, I, I think France already hated me, to be fair, so there's no issue. McLaren had a car that could win. Oh, yeah, Renault. <laughs> Alpine did not have a car that could win Hungary. Exactly. Good. Um, we agree, you see. Oh, exactly. coming yeah. together. So further to placate Trumpet, I know you wanted to talk about Andretti also. Yes, I do. I want to talk about Alvin and Andretti, and I want to talk about Ocon. And I'm going to start with Ocon, of course, because we were just discussing him, so it makes for an actual sugui, as I like to call him. Segway. Yes, I know. I just, I just, yeah, okay. Uh, but so, Botas, done like a dinner. Russell is in. Where are you with Ocon when Hamilton hangs up his spurs? Do you still see him going to Mercedes when that happens? Yeah, I said that before, didn't I? Um, yeah, I potentially. How about that? How can I say, how can I sit on the fence? So, potentially. Yes, complicated I, works too. It's still um, he's still a Mercedes driver. He is um, he's still very very well thought of within the Mercedes ranks. Is there anyone else in the Mercedes ranks coming up at the moment? No, uh, I wasn't expecting Lewis to sign another year because yeah. he's now got he's got an extra after this year. He's got two more or one more. I think it's two more after this year. I wasn't expecting that. I thought he was going to do a one-year, get his eighth title, and then uh, go and play music or the piano or whatever. Um, And I think if he did that, then Ocon is kind of top of the list because I'm not sure there's anyone else within the Mercedes hierarchy that they would want to go for. The only other thing that they potentially would do is try and steal Max Verstappen. Um, Again, we've talked about that, and I think everything that's happened over the last few months sort of would lead that to be less and less and less likely. I would just bring up DeVries and Van Dorn, who will soon be formerly Formula E drivers, one of them being the first Dutch champion ever. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Your response says <laughs> yeah, <that>. but <laughs> Yes, I, I know, but <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's it. Um, let's talk about Alpha a little bit more, because we've heard some intriguing things about an American team but an established American team, this time Andretti, wanting to buy into Formula One. And the name that keeps coming up is Alpha. How credible do you think that is? Not for next season, but I think for season after is is what the general consensus is right now. And if so, 
could we see a move away from Ferrari for them, especially if Joe winds up in that second seat? Uh in in short terms, yes, yes, and yes. Um, I think what we have to do is remember that it's whilst it's called Alfa Romeo, it's still the Sauber team, and Alfa are just a sponsor. Um, so they've they've Sauber have, have had links to Ferrari through Ferrari engines for a long time, um, and that brings in itself a link to the engine supplier that maybe we don't understand. It happened at Williams, um, you know, with Mercedes and Mercedes having some sort of say over the drivers. The same manner, if you remember, when they put Pascal Verlein in there because Mercedes supplied the engine and they get a say over which driver comes in because they give discounts on the engines. Um, again, we have to remember that these engines are $25 million uh, a year to to buy a, a, a power unit. So there's a significant cost there. And if Ferrari can supply Sauber stroke Alpha with an engine and say, we'll give you a 50% discount, but you have to take Giovinazzi or whatever they may say, that's that's kind of how the way of the world works. So bearing all that in mind, but also remembering that it is only a sponsor, Alfa Romeo, it is Sauber, then I think they could go in any number of routes. Uh, I think it's a great team for Andretti. If Andretti are really interested in coming to Formula One, which would make a lot of sense, with everything that we talked about right at the start of the show, about the US market, about the way that things are growing, makes a lot of sense. Um, and Andretti, where else could they go? Um, you know, there's um, Sauber is is potentially up for up for sale, um, has been for a number of years. Where else could they go? Haas, do they pick up on an, an, an American team that has, to all intents and purposes, tailed off i'm not going to say that it failed but you know it's certainly tailing off right now Mm -hmm. um in its interest from gene Haas and in its and and in its success on the on the racetrack it's much better for them to go and try and buy a more established team um so yeah i think it's i think all of all of the above i think it's all on the cards um it would make sense for them to take the chinese driver joe as a as a second seat purely because of the cash side of things and then and then see where they go um, Giovinazzi is seems to be making a bit of a statement in the last few races, but I think, in my opinion, it's a little bit too little too late. Fair enough. The last place I want to go is to Williams, and I want to talk about Alex Albon, but not just because he's there, but because that seat seems like it's kind of been taken away from Mercedes a little bit. And adding to that, I mentioned earlier the power unit meetings, uh, we know that uh, Volkswagen Group was there, and I happen to know that Porsche is building an e-fuel plant in Chile with Siemens, who's a Red Bull sponsor, as a partner. Are we beginning to see a shift in the power of Formula One? Are we seeing Williams moving a bit away from Mercedes, establishing some independence? And given the fact that Capito is from that same orbit, Volkswagen, could we see? Could we be seeing the beginnings of a fundamental reshaping of the powers in Formula One? Uh, I'm not sure about a fundamental reshaping. I think that everything that you said is 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 spot on. Um, I think Williams uh, now under their new ownership have have got a little bit more cash. Um, 
And and cash is king in Formula One, and and that's what and that's what drives a lot of what Mercedes and Ferrari are doing. And, and it goes back to what we were just saying about Alpha. You know, Mercedes Benz supply engines to Williams, and that's it. So they supply engines, and and Williams take their engines, and that, and that's great. But then when Williams are strapped for cash, and they turn around to to Toto and they say, ah, you know, the payment of uh, ten million dollars that I owe you next month, you know, it's going to be a bit difficult. And then Toto turns. And this is all speculative, by the way, or maybe did happen at Lotus. Who knows? Um, and then Toto turns around and says, "Okay, well, you know, if you can't afford to pay me that, then you know, maybe I can help you to put um, a driver in. You know, we'll put George Russell in the seat for next year." Um, okay, well, how's that going to look? Well, I'll give you a fifty percent discount on the engine. And if you were Williams at the time and you had no money, then you had no choice. And and again, you can sit down and look at it and you can say, okay, how does this look for us at Williams? Well, we're getting the next, as far as Mercedes are concerned, the next genius superstar kid. We're getting a huge discount on our engines um, and we're falling within a little bit more than the Mercedes family. It's a, it's a win, 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 win. Now, Doralton have come in, they've got a bit of cash. They don't necessarily have to pander to those needs. So they can still say to Mercedes, okay, yeah, you know, we owe you 25 million for the engine, sorted, we've paid you that, but we're going to take a driver that we want to take on our terms. Um, and I think that is potentially the switch um, or the shift, um, how much or what sort of a deal they had to um, jump into bed with Red Bull in terms of Albon, I'm not sure. I think that Red Bull were pretty much done with him. I think they're hanging on to him just in case something crops up in the future. I think Albon was in the, um, was he not looking at an IndyCar seat the weekend before? He was at an IndyCar event, wasn't he, the week before looking for an IndyCar seat. So, you know, I I don't think he's as inducted into the Red Bull program as we think. So, um, yeah, for all of the above reasons, I think Williams have just got a bit more cash and they they can therefore make their own decisions. Guys, thank you so much uh, for listening to Missed Apex podcast. I I feel like, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of clip-worthy things for tomorrow. Uh, if if no, no one said anything Philpot-worthy, if we could next time just generate a bit more anger, that would be okay. Like, you, you didn't specifically, Mr. Carter, like, lambast an individual. I think that's where you've fallen down this show. Apart from that... Well, since Cyril left, it makes it much more difficult for me. <laughs> Uh, you, there's no easy there's no um what's the what's the, the the phrase of the podcast so far there's no low-hanging fruit yeah there's Cyril no f- was low-hanging fruit he was easy easy bait wasn't he follow matthew carter at low-hanging fruit on twitter no you don't you still still refuse to engage in any social media i'm gonna set up that uh that handle right now let's do that and of course please go and follow my co-host here and friend matt at matt pt 55 that's the one on Twitter. Follow him on Facebook as well if you want to see him post pictures of trumpets and desserts my daughter bakes. Yes, that is actually worth it. And if you would like to hear me and Matt talking about things that aren't F1 and expressing opinions about stuff, we recently relaunched Remain Indoors podcast under the name, hang on, I have to lean into the mic for this Doom Scrolling. And we recorded our first episode on Thursday and it was fun. It was fun. Mm-hmm. I got some feedback, actually, from oh, okay. some Go on, listeners that uh, were very delayed to see us back and in that particular context. And we are expressing opinions about things. 
So if you want to hear my opinions about stuff and things from our lives, then uh, go and subscribe to Doom Scrolling Podcast as well. Uh, we will have links below to the two podcasts that I guested on uh, that I would still love you to go and check out. I have a couple more lined up because I'm trying to expand my podcast horizons and I have enjoyed it. It has been a good experiment. So if you would like me to appear on your podcast and think that I could add something to your show, then please email me spanners at mistapex.net and we'll hook something up if you're enjoying the show please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash mistapex we are going to have a show on tuesday oh this is a treat we're going to talk legal contracts with peter wright and we're going to have a little bit of a travelogue conversation about f1 venues it's going to be good until then work hard be kind and have fun this was Missed Apex Podcast. I know, Matt, you want to do comment of the week. I know, I understand. All right, fine. Comment of the week. You get three, and then Matthew Carter is our, our judge. Is, uh, does Brad Philpot not come into that? Is it comment of the week? No, the no, it's, 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 it's oh, not. It's not damn. So, so you just want to pick all his rants from the last just... <laughs> No, what no, is... it's, it's the comment from the chat room. Matt, give us three candidates. Is it not? Well, hang on. I think the comment should be, we're never going to have good racing while Max Verstappen is racing at the front. Is that not oh, the one? Is that, the, that, is that he, the clip? Is that what he said? Okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, Good. Okay. It doesn't matter. All those people who were upset by that told me that they're never listening again. So we're good. We're fine. They're gone now. <laughs> right. So Stuart Neal is in with a blindfold sprint race on Saturday must be the way forward with regards to fixing the sprint race. Yeah, no, no, no. I think Kyle Power had it correct. Give points for uh, leaving the, the pit lane and going to the grid. So whoever does that first gets points as well, and, and they have to juggle whilst doing that. Uh, Rob Asher, with regards to Amazon sponsoring Ferrari, I'm sorry, Charles, we couldn't deliver your tire at the pit stop because no one answered the door. Yeah, that, that would be more relevant to like Daniel Ricciardo Monaco, I think. And I actually have two more I'm going to read just to spite you. Our friend F1 Mia Hamm goes Daddy Stroll versus Daddy Mazepin, checkbooks drawn. <laughs> okay, good. And I will end with our friend Mark Greenhow. The low-hanging fruit is the name of my miniature giraffe sanctuary. Oh, I love that because that reminds me of the joke. Uh, what? <laughs> How come you never see elephants hiding in trees, Matt? How come? Because they're really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Mark Greenhow, congratulations. You have won. Comment of the week. Comment of the week. To go, we need to go before I tell the joke. Why do elephants paint their balls red? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, now you have to tell it <laughs> so they can hide in cherry trees. Obviously, obviously that obviously. obviously. And what's the loudest sound in the jungle? Giraffes eating cherries. <laughs> there you go. It's not jokes. Love it. Sorry, let's get out of here. I have to find the button for the closing. Here it is. We're gone. <laughs> it's gone, it's gone. They can't hear us in just a second. We are clear. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.